Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. So we'll move to our next panel discussion and talk a little bit about the uh, precision trial. So um, Raven, can you uh, take us through a little bit of the nuts and bolts of the precision trial? Yeah, happy to. So just to remind everybody, as as you were saying before, apricententin is a dual endothelin receptor antagonist. Um, so it prevents the binding of uh, endothelin to two receptors. The reason why this is important is because endothelin is a powerful vasoconstrictor. So the precision trial, like as you said, the results will be um, revealed at the concurrent AHA conference, is, is the goal of it was to evaluate the safety and efficacy of apricententin when it when combined to standard of care antihypertensive therapy in patients with resistant hypertension. So this is a multicenter randomized phase three study, mostly involving study sites from North America and from Europe. Um, and here's the study design. And there are a couple of things that I wanna point out about this, this the, the trial design. And one of the first things I really wanna point out and a really nice strength of this study is that the investigators had a really long screening and run-in period prior to randomization. And this was really important because it was during this time that the investigators identified patients with true resistant hypertension and excluded pseudoresistance. So how did they do this? So patients to be eligible for the study, you know, had to have uncontrolled hypertension despite three medications. But what the investigators did is they placed all patients on standardized antihypertensive therapy, including three antihypertensive agents of different classes, including a diuretic. And the three agents that they chose were amlodipine, valsartan, and hydrochlorothiazide. So they put them on a pretty good regimen. In addition, not only that, they, in, or, in order to maximize adherence, they gave all these patients these three medications in a single pill, and that was to maximize adherence. So all patients were put on standardized antihypertensive therapy, a single pill that was triple combination. And the two strengths were, are, are shown there on the previous slide of what was available. Um, and moreover, to be randomized in the trial, you had to be on this triple therapy, but you had to have a systolic blood pressure of at least 140 as measured by unattended automated office blood pressure monitoring. As I mentioned before, automated office blood pressure monitoring really can help maximize the accuracy and reliability of measurements, and when unattended, can minimize white coat effect. Um, and here listed here is the exclusion criteria, which I think was pretty standard. Patients with severe hypertension, patients with advanced heart failure, and advanced CKD were excluded from the study. So they identified patients with true resistant hypertension, and then they could be randomized. And there were three parts to the intervention. And during the intervention, patients could receive apricententin or placebo while on the standard, standardized antihypertensive therapy, that, com- that combination medication. Um, and as you can see, the intervention phase was pretty quite long. So they took 48 weeks to study the safety and efficacy. So again, a nice long time and another strength of the study. And then uh, following the study, after the last treatment dose, patients were followed up for additional 30 days for safety. As you can see here, what the study endpoints here, the primary study endpoint was change in blood pressure, systolic blood pressure from baseline to week four as measured by unattended AOBP, automated office blood pressure monitoring, and there were several secondary endpoints. The key one was really, again, changes to solid blood pressure from week 36 to week 40, again, as measured by unattended automated office blood pressure monitoring. 
I will point out another nice secondary endpoint is that they assess blood pressure by 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. So thanks, Raven. I, you know, obviously we don't know the results of the study yet. We've got to wait a couple days for that. Um, but, George, I wanted to ask you, let's say this is positive in some way that, that APRASA-1010 actually lowers blood pressure um, uh, effectively. How, where might you think about using this in your practice? What kind of population? So, excellent question. I think, as you've heard so far, <clears throat> the reason Spiro is number four is because it worked in that study. It has truckloads of side effects, as you all know. So really, the competition now is to find something as or more effective in Spiro that doesn't have all the baggage. The only side effect of this class, and this goes back into the early 2000s, is edema. And so that's a limiting factor. However, a little hint, data from the SONAR trial, which we published a few years ago, which was a renal trial, but edema, again, there was a limiting factor, is the, and it was a non-hypotensive dose, and yet it was still protective to the kidney. Remember, endothelin is three times more vasoconstrictive than angiotensin II. So this is a very powerful thing that you're working on. If you can screen patients, make sure that their nt pro BNP is fine, there's no reason this drug can't work and can't help. The way I would use this is a substitute for spironolactone because I'm confident, based on what I know, that the effect is going to be the same, if not slightly better, and better tolerated overall. Thanks, George. Keith, what are, what are your thoughts here? Well, of course, we don't know until a drug is approved and available. I still like to use spironolactone if the GFR is over 45 and the baseline potassium is less than 4.5. George has actually had studies that shown that it can be fairly safe in that particular setting. The off-target effects, estrogen stimulation, gynecomastia, breast tenderness is limiting in men, even at lower doses. That's where pilonone was used in the Los Angeles Barbershop study. So perhaps in those patients where we don't want to have either the off-target effects and we're concerned with some of the effects with hyperkalemia. Other than the volume, I think this may be a good added uh, medication in our armamentarium with difficult to treat and resistant hypertension. I would also suggest that, remember, this is a clinical trial, so people were probably taking their medicines, getting paid for their time and travel. The big thing that we have in usual clinical practice is people do not take their medicines. About 50% have non-adherence after two years. So we need to make sure that, first of all, the patient is on effective regimen, but more importantly, they're taking it. And I just want to wanna quickly add, yeah. <clears throat> the reason they were on this triple combo, you notice the dose of L-sartan was stuck at 160. This was an international trial, and in many places around the world, you can't get 320. You can in the U.S., but you can't outside. And hydrochlorothiazide, you're stuck. That's what's in the combos. They didn't put chlorothalidone in. So there are some limitations. And that needs to be recognized as well. Yeah, it wasn't a bad triple combination, George, but I agree with you. I probably have used the higher doses of an ARB or even an alternative ARB, Herbisartan or Omosartan, which has a longer half-life than Valsartan. And I probably would have tried the person on chlorothalidone or endapamide. Many of you don't use endapamide. It's used mainly in Europe, but it is available in the United States as a generic. And it's similar to perhaps not as good as chlorothalidone, but it has the benefit of a very low dose of 1.25 that's available, and so you can get some of the benefits of chlorothalidone and see how the patient can tolerate it. This is great. So I think what I've heard in terms of thinking about APRIS and 1010, if it turns out to be positive, is, is a couple of things. One, certainly 
off-target effects with uh, spironolactone can be limiting, and uh, those can some of them can occur even with the plurinone. So this might be an option there instead of uh, MRAs. Uh, we need to be concerned potentially about edema and, and excluding patients uh, with with uh, heart failure perhaps in that setting. Um, and then in terms of uh, applying this to clinical practice, of course, in the trial, they're using hydrochlorothiazide as opposed to chlorothaladone. There will be a late breaker uh, in a few hours addressing that question uh, here at AHA, um, and certainly dosing in terms of valsartan and whether herbisartan potentially could have been used instead. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.